I'm Shane. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my man just blew my anonymity right off the rip. Uh, <laughs> haven't got there yet, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, so I am Shane. I am an alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be here, grateful to be sober, and I appreciate the opportunity to do this. It's always a absolute privilege to be able to be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous, the program that gave me my life, period. Um, not necessarily gave me my life back because I didn't have one before. You know, um, if it were up to me, my journey would have ended, you know, on my terms uh, a little over 10 years ago. So uh, my sobriety date is March 11th of 2013. So I have been sober. I just celebrated 10 years in March of, 20, of 2023. Yeah. And... Uh, that is an absolute gift, you know. I couldn't have imagined for the guy who couldn't stay sober a day, right, for, for somebody who would wake up with the shakes, um, who had that obsession, the craving, the allergy, all that stuff just on me from the moment I opened my eyes. Um, you know, I, I couldn't have imagined being here today. Um, and I appreciate that everybody clapped for my sobriety date. However, I can't take credit for it. Um, you know, my ego wants it to be like, my ego wants it to be like, you know, 10 years, put it in the Wall Street Journal, you know, like front page, like young man defies odds, you know, on his own good works, you know, like it really would say like young man fumbles through life and uh, through God's grace um, is sober a day at a time. And, uh, that's that's an accurate description of of what it's been like for me for the last ten years, and um, I don't know. The book tells me to, in a general way, right, what it's like, what happened, and what it's like today. And um, I don't know. I, I hear that all the time, and I just really I prefer what's stated in there as a solution, right? When it's talking about those uh, stories in the back of the book, it says, you know, how each person established their relationship with their higher power. Like that's what my lead really is. Um, you know, and how that relationship has grown, how it's developed. Um, what does it look like when I'm actively living it, and what does it look like when I'm not practicing it, you know? So I'll just start, you know, from the very beginning. Um, a very critical, critical moment in my life happened. In 1994, I was born. Um, <laughs> you know, that's when all my problems started, like, in that minute. Just came out, problems. Um, and but yeah, I was. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, I grew up here. I was born downtown, down in the Clifton area, and my family moved to the east side when I was very young. And my family is not one that um, it's like a super wealthy family. We're very working middle class. Um, my mother's a teacher. My dad did pretty well for himself. Um, but I can say that around the time I was born, my family was not well off, right? So. I grew up in this environment where we had what we needed. Um, later on, it developed into we had what we wanted um, as my parents continued to be successful in their career. And um, I don't know. You know, I can't really say much about, you know, tracing back to the early, early days, the root of my alcoholism. Um, I think I was just born that way. And that's okay. You know, like somebody told me once why is not a spiritual question. And I hate him for telling me that. You know, it's my mother-in-law. I love her. But 
Uh, yeah, and it's just like, why isn't a spiritual question? Because if I, if I'm focused on the why, even if I knew, what would it do? It wouldn't change the course of events. And I've got a lot of evidence today that it's better if I don't really know. You know, it's better if I'm capable of having an open mind and an open heart to a new experience, and just have my my eyes forward on what my higher power might bring to me next. Um, you know, growing up. The earliest, call it traumatic, experience in my life really was uh, my parents were involved in a very messy divorce. And messy in the way of, you know, I love this story, but I was just a, a young man at seven, um, you know, playing, playing in the snow, building a snowman. It was adorable. I was a plump kid. I've got the blueberries. I've got the carrot. There's a top hat. And, uh, you know, my parents, I just see them starting to run around the house in the snow. And, um, you know, I, I look at it now, and I'm just like, oh, you know, they were, they, they were in love. They were, they were running around the house playing tag. You know, like, they're, like, love is not dead. They're playing a game, you know. And then I saw my mother leap, you know, around the third lap around the house and just tackle my dad. And I was like, oh, he's it, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> What happened next was I, I realized it wasn't tag because my mom just started, like, decking my dad, you know. And so, and so uh, it was not my dad wasn't wearing shoes. It was like a – anyway. Um, you know, so the cops came and hauled off my mother, and my mother's a woman of color. And uh, we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. And, you know, as much as we were middle class, just run-of-the-mill family, um, you know, we were treated a little different. And – I remember all the neighbors sitting out on their front porches watching the only person of color on the block get hauled off from their home, you know. And um, I don't know. I, I can't say that affected us, like, majorly, majorly, but there was always a little something about not fitting in, right? And uh, I already had this predisposition to not feel like I fit in because I felt like I was different. I felt like I was unique. Um, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and find out that's not necessarily the case, but at the time, I felt very special, you know, and um, I often say, like, my character defects, my alcoholism, they were on full display well before I took my first drink. Um, example being after my parents' divorce, you know, you might think that a child is kind of distraught. Um, my experience was my elementary school had a pizza party weekly for children of divorced parents or that were going through that process. <laughs> and... Um, like I said, I was a plump kid, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm starting to think to myself, like, man, I hope the case carries on, you know, so I keep getting this pizza, you know. And, uh, you know, just leveraging that. I remember being very young and stealing a lot of money from my babysitter, um, about 500 bucks. And I know, I know, a sleight of hand, you know. <laughs> and... uh you know, I also stole about this wonderful, wonderful baseball card collection from the dad. It was like 1970s mint, like all the throwback. It was excellent. And um, I would just carry it around with me to let everybody know, like, I, I got it. You know, like, I, I keep that on me. You know, this is just loose change, you know. And I had nothing to buy. You know, it's like I could get a big K for 35 cents at the vending machine at school, and I'd pull out 500 bucks and be like, yo, I think we got this, you know. And uh, when I was caught, when I was caught by the family, a super loving family, 
Um, I lied. I just lied. They said, uh, Shane, it, why'd you do it? You know, and I, I, I crafted this, this wonderful lie. I just said, uh, you know, I just, it's been hard at home. <laughs> like I've been working, you know, it's like it's been hard at home. And uh, I just want to get my sister something nicer than a hairband for Christmas. You know, and they ate it up, you know, they, they, and I was, <laughs> you know, and so I gave them back like 200 bucks, kept three and was on my way. And, uh, and I, I remember lying to the extent of, uh, this is one of my favorites. There's, I used to always tell people when I was a kid, I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm from Chicago, right? It's like Cincinnati is a soft city. You know, I'm from the streets of Chicago, <laughs> you know. And finally, this this kid called me out. He said, Shane, I know your family. Um, You're not, right? You're you're just, you're not. And uh, my reaction was, well, the only way to solve this is to give him a whooping, you know, until he starts telling people that I'm from Chicago. So that transpired. And, um, you know, the jig was up. People people found out. But uh, I like to think that I'm tougher than I am. And so... I don't know, that all happened well before I took my first drink, and if I look back on it when I'm going through the steps, I kind of identify that, like, oh, those are kind of defects, right? Or that's what the book outlines as defects. It calls it things like selfish. It calls it things like dishonest. Um, and so all that stuff was occurring. I always felt like I needed to act out in a certain way because I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, you know? And it's, it's odd to sit up here and say that, you know, from the ages of 5 to 12, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, you know. Um, and that continued through my alcoholism, but for a time, drinking was a solution for me. You know, it, it worked until it didn't. And so I took my first drink when I was 12 years old, much to the wonderful joke. Earlier, I was sober for 11 years at one point. <laughs> and... Uh, it was a bottle of wine from my dad's basement. He had done real well for himself. You know, my parents were split up. I was over at dad's for the night or whatever. And um, I took a bottle of wine from the basement. And I remember it was a 97 rated, 97 year, easy to remember. Um, and I drank it. You know, the way that that looked was like I didn't know how to get the cork out. And so I'd just start ramming a knife, you know, down the mouth of this thing. And... <laughs> You know, I'm like drinking through the cork that's shoved in the bottle, you know, it's spilling, you know, teeth red, spitting cork, you know, and, uh, but I drank it all, you know, it's just like, <laughs> can't just have a sip, this isn't a pinkies up affair, you know, it's just like I'm in the basement by myself, and uh, that's actually a lot what the end of my alcoholism looked like too, uh, just being by myself drinking um, a fairly copious amount of alcohol, and um, I don't know, I, I remember in that moment, I remember that uh, I thought it tasted terrible. However, I felt like it was an adequate substitution for what I had been trying to accomplish through acting out for years. I remember feeling an element of warmth in that, like, this might work. Like, this, this feels like the link that was missing. And, um, you know, you might, you might expect it to be challenging for a 12-year-old to procure... Um, alcohol, um, but I made my way around, you know, the boundaries and drank as frequently as I could. I had a, a sister, I have a sister, who uh, supplied me with much of what I needed 
uh, from ages 12 to 14, right, until I found other ways. I uh, also remember when I was 12, I had my first experience smoking weed, and uh, I know, I know. Um, and what that looked like was, you know, I'm, I'm upstairs, I come downstairs, my sister's out back at my dad's house. A lot happened at my dad's house. And um, nothing happened at my mom's house. <laughs> um, you know, I come downstairs, and my sister's out back, and she's with her friends, and I immediately think to myself, all right, all right, older woman, you know, buckle up. You know, they're 16. They're 16. Older women, you're in. Act cool, man. You know, and I go out there, and they're like, hey, you ever, you ever done this? I was like, oh, pff, oh, my God, yeah. I mean, all the time, all the time, man. I'm sm- smoking green, you know? And uh, they they handed me this bowl, and I was just like, now I'll see, though, when me and my, my boys are smoking, smoking the greens, um, you know, we, we're rolling. We're rolling stuff up. How do you use this glass contraption? And, uh, you know, they showed me, and it was one of those times where you're, like, violently too high, right? Um, <laughs> like, I got real pale. We watched a terrible movie, and they were like, you all right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And uh, I remember my sister took me upstairs and said, you know, just lay down, man. Go to bed. Everything's cool. You didn't freak anybody out too bad. Um, And so I remember laying there, and I'll never forget this. It was 2.14 in the morning. I'm sitting on my bed or laying in my bed. I'm just thinking to myself, just breathe, man. You know, like, (laughs) we're going to make it if you just breathe, (laughs) you know. And uh, closed my eyes, thought I got a full night of sleep. Woke up, checked the phone, it said 2.15 a.m. I said, we're going to die is what we're going to do. We're going to die tonight, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, like, those two experiences aren't spectacular, right? It's not like the lights were bright. It's not like I was funny. It's not, I was by myself, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And, you know, it didn't really matter because it made me feel different than I did when I was just in my regular state of consciousness. Therefore, I needed to continue to do it at, uh, you know, a high frequency or as high of a frequency as I could. And so, you know, on through the years, I, I drank. Every time that I had the opportunity, I drank as much as I could. I drank as fast as I could. Um, you know, to the extent that very early on in my drinking, um, it was a problem for other people because I was not, um, you know, drinking in an orderly fashion, right? Um, the 14-year-olds weren't drinking quite like I was, um, by a long shot, you know. So naturally, you start turning to other things, right? And I know this is Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll say it in a general way, but if I'm holding true to what I believe a lead is, you know, and if God is everything or God is nothing, then this is a part of my story too, you know. And so, uh, you know, I started encountering drugs when I was about 15. And... um, that really took hold. I think it kind of took my alcoholism to the next level. Um, I started getting into things like methamphetamines. I started getting into things like cocaine. I started getting into things like heroin, prescription pills. And, um, you know, all that stuff just got me kind of where I wanted to be, which was like way past the mark. You know, that was my experience was I was never really trying to hit the mark. I was trying to just blow by it. And that stuff, that did it for me. You know, it did on top of the drinking. And, you know, as I'm qualifying my alcoholism, it is important for me to say, like, I truly believe that I'm an alcoholic. 
uh, versus taking any other identification, whether I think it matters or not, I don't really know or I don't care. But um, what I do know is that at the end of the day, when I was at the end of my drinking, um, I could go without the substances, but I needed, like I, I held the bottle, like I held the baby, you know, like I could not go without my alcohol. It was a necessity for me to function um, at any level. And so, um, you know, I I went to college, you know, I, high school years, whatever, you know, you just, you drank, you do all this stuff, and you guys have heard it all before, but I, I go to college and I, I tell my buddy, I say, hey man, there's one thing we need before we really have this college experience, so what's that? I said, a house. He was just like, how how are we going to get a house? We Craigslist, you know? And so, and so within three hours, we had a house. And... Uh, I didn't move in any clothes. I didn't move in any food. When I moved in, it was all the alcohol that I had, a speaker system, and a laser show. <laughs> and uh, it was a bad laser show, too. It was, it was just from Spencer's Gifts. And uh, it wasn't like one of those ones that's flying all over. It's just on the wall, running a circle forever, you know, <laughs> like real close dots. <laughs> like, and... Uh, you know, we just started having these big, big parties, and, you know, first night, cops are there. Second night, cops are there. I'm like, we're making a name for ourselves, you know. Like, people know this is it, you know. <laughs> this is the joint. And um, I just remember feeling that feeling that Bill describes in the book if I had arrived, right. To this point, it had been like, you know, I'm just... It's the adequate substitution. Like, I'm getting along fine. People, people like me, but this is like bright lights, big city, right? This, this apartment down in Clifton area. Um, it's not bright lights, big city, if you've ever been to Clifton. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, so that's going on. And within the first 12 days, what happens is the people who came over originally stopped coming over. You know, they started saying things like, it's dangerous there. Um, Words like that flying around, you know. (laughs) Um, And they weren't wrong. I mean, the first night we were there, I I got in this this altercation with uh, a young man who ended up chasing me up and down the street with a machete, right? And so when people were like, it's dangerous there, I was like, what do you mean? You know, they're like, dude, you were just like, <laughs> like on a safari hunt, like not that long ago. And um, so I, I don't know. It's as people left, my drinking got worse, right, and worse. I mean, there was never a time where it was at level. There was every single opportunity I had to drink. Again, was trying to blow past the mark. Was trying to get to the next level of right and. Um, you know, it got very sad. I can't say that my story is uh, super, like, hilarious. You know, like, I've got stories, and the way that I spend them are good, but I don't really think they matter. Because at the end of the day, where my alcoholism left me was that part in Bill's story on page A where it talks about being absolutely defeated. Um, quicksand stretched all around me. You know, alcohol was my master. That's really important for me because it's past tense, but it absolutely was my master. Um, you know, the low lights of my drinking or highlights just looked like, um, you know, a dr- drugging myself into a coma. I slept for two days, more or less. You know, not medically proclaimed, but um, taking enough to basically shut myself down for two days. It looked like 
maximizing, you know, doing that test of like, let me maximize how many, how much drugs and alcohol I can take, and what what does that yield me, right? And setting my own record, it looked like, you know, being somebody who was just a menace. I love to run up and down the streets of Clifton and just kick in taillights, man. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but I did a lot of damage that way. I've got a really hard head through a windshield, baby. You know, it's just like, what, what can I break? You know, jump down, jumping off of roofs, right? Um, it looked like me just lying. People that I really, really care about and people that really, really cared about me, stealing from them, lying to them. It looked like, you know, placing an attempt on somebody's life with a baseball bat. It looked like all sorts of things. Um, And the last evening of my drinking, what it looked like was friends coming over because they were concerned, um, saying, hey, why don't we get you around some people, you know? And so they took me to this party where I knew nobody, and the first thing I did was rob the guy, you know? I wasn't a good house guest at that time. (laughs) Um, you know, I walk in and I just go up and like, hey man, I gotta take a leak, you know, where's the bathroom? He's like, oh, right around the corner. Bust in the door, you know, I'm like, bedroom. And, uh, this guy, God bless him, he wasn't even a good Rob, man, you know, it's just like, I go in there, he's got fake sunglasses, he's got like a bunch of keychains. I'm like, these won't go for nothing, you know, but what he did have was car keys, you know, and so I just thought to myself, well, you know, I haven't haven't experienced Grand Theft Auto before other than the video game, so why don't we take this thing out for a spin? And um, I go outside, and I hit the unlock button, and it's like the lights from the heavens just shone down on this car. It was a beautiful, beautiful car, you know, to me at the time. And I take it. I'm riding around. I drop it off. I just parked it in the tow zone after I was done with it because I just wanted to say, hey, he'll deal with it in the morning, you know. The impound will call him. And um, suddenly as I'm walking away from the car, my friend calls me and says, hey, man, why don't you come out to Anderson? We're having a party. And I said, that's fascinating. I, I recently procured a vehicle. And he's like, what? And it's like, I'll be there, you know. <laughs> Hung up, and I get in the car, and I'm driving like I stole it because I did. And, uh, you know, I'm flying up and down the highway. I'm listening to rap music. I'm just throwing cans out the window, bottles out the window. And... Uh, I had this feeling. It just, like, dawned on me. It was, again, it was like, I have arrived, you know. Like, I'm untouchable, you know. And then within minutes, it it turned into a different thought, a much different thought. And it was the first time I think I had ever thought this before, but it was profound. It was, I wish they would catch me, you know. Because to this point, I've been running from myself, from other people, and from everything that life has to offer, and uh, I can't even face myself in the mirror, you know. Um, and then a few moments later, another thought occurred, and it was the next natural thought in the progression. It was just like, well, why don't we just kill yourself? Um, and so that was my solution to life, right? That's where my alcoholism took me was to the point where I just thought, it's better to end it now because I don't believe that I can beat this thing. And that's why I just so relate with Bill's story. It's like I was flat on my back. I had nothing that I could do. Um, There was no help for me in my own mind. Um, And my pride wouldn't even let me ask for help if I wanted it. 
Um, so the last thing I remember that evening was, you know, seeing my speedometer hit 80 as I went around a 35 turn. Um, you know, I blacked out when, you know, the impact occurred. But uh, I flipped the car, it landed on its head, the axle ripped from the car, and it slid into, uh, slid into a tree on its head. And, uh, you know, naturally, I get out, and I'm just like, oh, man, I can't even do that right. <laughs> God, and uh, I'm just running through the woods at that point, heavily concussed, can't see. Long story short, break into somebody's house to spend the night there and wake up the next morning, and I'm just like, man, I need to drink. You know, that's that's what my alcoholism looked like, that cunning, baffling, powerful language that they use. Because on, on all on all accounts, that feels like somebody who has, you know, a sound mind would think to themselves, it's probably best to lay low for a while. You know, like, that's in the news, you know. And, um, but no, I, I needed to drink. And so... What happened was I had every single thing that was in my possession other than my phone at the time of the car accident. And so I get home, I walk up the stairs, um, you know, I'm like actually crawling up the stairs because I can't see and my hips are, are really bugging me from this car accident. And, um, you know, I go inside and I pick up a, a natural light, you know, only the best. And uh, it's got it's got cigarette ash in it. You can see the thing floating in there. And I take it to my mouth because I needed it more than anything I've needed in my life. And uh, a good friend of mine who can't stay sober just can't stay sober to save his life. Um, oh, there's a dog here. Um, is this cat can't stay sober to save his life? And he takes the drink out of my hand and says, "Shane, you're going to kill yourself." And um, he took my last drink away from me, and uh, that was March 11, 2013. And my good friend Drew, um, you know, he constantly has tracks in his arms, and uh, I love him to death, and I always pick up the phone because I think that he saved my life that day. And uh, I so badly wish I could save his, but I can only be available when he calls, and so I am. I owe that to him. And, um, you know, the police called, and they said, hey, man, why don't you turn yourself in? I was just like, ah, oh, you got me. You know, that is my phone. Um, there's no way around that. Can't be, <laughs> I can't be like, I threw it in a moving vehicle, and it must be, you know. I was like, nope, nope. Um, so I turned myself in, and they said, you know, man, <laughs> what, what happened? You stole this car. I was like, that was the car? They were like, yeah. I was like, I thought it was a 2013 Corvette. Turns out it was like a 98 Corolla. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and uh, apparently when I was driving and it sounded like the engine was purring, that was like the muffler about to fall off, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I went to jail and I like to say I spent, uh, I'm a hardened criminal, you know, I, I spent a long seven hours in the Cincinnati Justice Center, and uh, I say that in front of everybody just because I'm not aiming for street cred, you know, like that's long gone, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I got out of that place, and I'm a talker. I'm, I'm a big time talker, major extrovert. I met some cool guys in there, you know. Uh, you know, this one cat tried to rob the Do Danbury Dollar, the Dollar Movie Theater, um, and he almost got away with it too. You know, that's that's what he told me. And uh, 
I told my mom that story when she picked me up. She was not as happy as I was, you know. I was like, no, he's a good guy. He almost got away. You know? uh, but, you know, at the time, at the time that I was drinking, I was dating this girl. Dating's a relative term. Um, she was hostage. Um, and I, I used, I leveraged her assets, um, her car, um, her money, um, you know, emotional support, um, stuff like that. And her stepdad, actually, his sobriety date is March 10th, I think 1990. And uh, he took me to my first meeting. He took me to my first meeting at 405 Oak Street. And um, it was the most incredible experience because I sat there and listened to a lead by this woman who probably worked a sales job. She's probably dressed half like I am now. Uh, She had kids. There was nothing on paper that would have said, you guys are the same. I've never felt more close to somebody in my life than hearing that woman's lead because I felt like she was speaking my story. You know, that language of the heart thing. I felt like I fit in. And mind you, I'm 18 years old when I show up to Oak Street and I'm listening to a 50-year-old woman give her lead. And I'm thinking, we are the same. We are absolutely the same. There's nothing different. Uh, this is the, you know, my friends don't understand this idea of, like, I just can't stop. I show up to a room and everybody's like, yeah, we couldn't stop either, man. And I'm like, oh, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody relate with me in that way. And uh, it was an incredible feeling. And uh, as much as I like to think that I've put in all this work, you know, I wake up, throw on my boots, and walk to Oak Street, man, you know, and all that is just like, man, I cannot act like that higher power that I didn't believe in at that time didn't have his hand in this thing the whole way through. You know, it's like I just so happened to date this girl whose stepdad had 20-some-odd years and a sobriety date the day before mine. And how about, like, going to Oak Street for the first time and resonating? How about the fact that I was willing to go back the next day? And the next day, and when I asked somebody for a ride, they showed up. It's like none of that stuff was me other than walking, you know. None of that stuff was me other than just walking into a meeting. And, um, you know, transparently, early sobriety for me was terrible. Um, Everybody talks about the pink cloud. I get really jealous of people who are like, yeah, I was floating on that pink cloud, man. I was just like, I was still dying, you know. I was living in this house that we had effectively sold drugs out of, and, um, you know, the power was out, Um, you know, no heat in the winter, Um, you know, I had put my head through multiple windows, so, as you know, the heat wasn't working, but that air conditioning coming in from outside was um, in March, and, um, you know, it was really sad, I would would go up to Oak Street for the 4, the 5.30, and the 7.00. And I would stay there as late as I could, and I would show up as early as I could, because I was just simply terrified to be by myself. You know, I was terrified of going home and, and facing myself still. And um, eventually that changed, but for the longest time, my only safe bubble was Alcoholics Anonymous. Today I have a lot of different safe bubbles, but Alcoholics Anonymous is my home. It's the one that I I wake up in and I go out to all the other bubbles, right? AA is no longer my hospital. It is my home. 
I don't just show up to visit. I stay. Um, and so, you know, I got a sponsor. Everybody said, get a sponsor, get a sponsor. His name is Joe. And um, I love Joe. He, uh, the reason I picked him, they said, get somebody who you want what they have. And um, he had this really cool forearm tattoo. And he had this really cool flat bill hat that was, I was donning a lot of those at the time. And uh, he was 30 dating a 19-year-old woman. And I thought to myself, if there is a spiritual experience, it's right here in front of me and Joe, you know. And uh, he didn't know what he was doing, and neither did I. And my experience with Alcoholics Anonymous has been as simple as this. There's no wrong way to do this thing unless I'm not doing it at all or I'm not doing it honestly. That's just been my experience. And, uh, you know, Joe's given me direction that I can honestly say I've read the book a bit. The direction that he gave me is not in the book anywhere. Um, (laughs) Like, not even close. (laughs) I remember it was time to do the fourth step. I said, hey, man, I think I'm ready for this thing. I'm ready to... To do this, and um, he said, "Okay, well, I'm a little jammed up at the bar. Um, why don't you print some stuff out and just write?" And I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Not in the book, um, you know. But I go and I, I use all the money that I have on my UC Bearcat uh, library card to print out as many fourth step sheets from Google Image Search as I could, and. Uh, it sounds super silly, but when the back of the book talks about being honest, open-minded, and willing, um, I just did it to the best of my ability because I had no other options. You know, it's just like I wrote as many sheets of paper as I printed out with no idea of whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, but I showed up to his apartment to share it, and um, it was the silliest scene. I mean, I show up to his apartment, his lights are out, we're running a generator from upstairs to downstairs for a single lamp because he had recently lost a case on Judge Judy. This is a fact where, you know, he, he tried to sue his landlord because he didn't get the bill, but the bill was really in the mailbox, you know, and so he ain't got no power sharing this, this fourth step, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of like... What do they say? Whistling in the dark. You know, I'm like, let's see what we got. And um, I don't know. You know, a lot of my story, a lot of my story can be classified by just saying, I don't know, man. You know, all all the guys that I sponsor all rag on me because I start all my shares. I don't know, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, (laughs) but it's true. It's like uh, that could have been the most honest four step I've written in the last ten and a half years. I have no idea. Could have been the best one. You know, that could have been, um, you know, the most critical, the least critical. But what I do know is that I did it. And uh, what I do know is that my higher power helped me see the things that blocked me off from, you know, living a spiritual life um, and outlined behaviors that I've participated in that I no longer have to, um, you know, and place somebody in front of me who could hear it and relate and tell me things like me too, Um and tell me things that I had never thought about before. Like when he said, you really think that you're God. Like I had never thought of that before, you know. Um, And so like retroactively, I got clear on my third step by doing my fifth step. You know, like all this stuff that like, I I don't know, man. You know, who knows? Who knows? And, uh, you know, I talk about Joe a little bit in depth because he went out and he's never been back. 
And I think about him all the time because uh, he was critical for me, you know. As silly as, as silly as it was, you know, as silly as him trying to get me to wash dishes at the bar, telling me that I'd make a hundred grand a year doing that, you know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. I, I've, I've used Dawn detergent before. We could do this thing, you know. You know, the, the fourth step, fifth step story, all that is just like he was critical for me. Like my higher power placed this person in my life for a very specific reason. They played a very specific role, and I'm very grateful for them. You know, um, and there was a time there after that where I, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, I've, I've kind of got this thing now that I've celebrated a year. Um, you know, I feel fully reformed, um, and I think I could go at this thing on my own. And, uh, you know, so I keep showing up to meetings, and eventually I was reading inventory with this guy. I just said, hey, man, can, can I share this stuff with you? I'm, I'm feeling agitated, like restless, irritable, things like that, discontent. And uh, I read it to him, and he was just like, okay, so out of those 10 pages that you just wrote, what's your part? And I was like, oh, oh, there's a fourth column, totally blanked on that one, you know? Like, I had, I had written myself out of a fourth column. I thought everything was everybody else's fault, and that's what my alcoholism looks like, even if I'm not drinking. If I'm not participating in this thing, like, that's what my alcoholism looks like. I said, it's, it's your fault, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I shared it with him. I, he, he became my second sponsor. And uh, he took me through the book in a way that I've never been taken through the book before or since. And I probably won't take anybody through the book that way. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was the most strict version of AA that I, I could imagine. You know, I thought when he said, go through the book, read it, and underline every time it says must and should, naturally one would think, oh, these are the things that we must do to stay sober, and these are the things that we should do, right? These are suggestions. I did that, and he said, I just wanted to see if you were willing to do what I said. And I was like, that's an interesting way to do it. Um, so, but we went through the book word by word, line by line, page by page, you know. And I learned more about the language of that book and some of the meaning behind it. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, even though it was painful to me. You know, it was like not enjoyable, not my cup of tea. Um, but I wouldn't trade it. It was important for me. Everything's important to me. What's it say in God's economy, right? It's just like everything has utility, and that's been my experience. Um, you know, we we broke up. You break up with a sponsor. Um, we, we separated um, because, uh, you know, he gave me some direction that I wasn't comfortable with, but what, what had changed between the time that I was working with him and the time that I was working with the next guy was that I was no longer willing to accept the unacceptable feelings that I had, right? I realized when somebody told me that you are your own key to happiness, you are the only thing in your own way, that I didn't have to wait, you know, another year to get a sponsor. I could get one the next day, and I did. And I've been working with that guy for the last seven-some-odd years, and uh, we have a good thing going, for sure. Um, The way that we go through the book, it's... uh, you know, it works for me, and it's a way that I take all the other guys that I sponsor through. Um, again, one of those things where I don't know. You know, I've had this experience, and I just I wanted to talk about the I don't know for a second because uh, two reasons, actually. One of which is because it's super important to me, and it's like this 
thread of my sobriety. But another one is because I got feedback from a buddy of mine who recently passed that that's one of his favorite parts about my story, you know. And so out of respect to him, um, you know, just this idea that I had a job really early in sobriety at a United Dairy Farmers. And I thought to myself, we've got a career, boys. You know, <laughs> like I could go from the freezer to the desk to the office, you know. And uh, I got fired um, <laughs> because my felony came through. You cannot work at UDF if you have a felony. Odd, but still, <laughs> you know. And I thought to myself, that was devastating. That was devastating. Um, but when I look at it now and I think to myself, I don't know. You know, that was a very important job for me to learn how to show up. You know, my first experience taking what I learned in AA about showing up to make coffee out into the real world. Responsibilities I learned at that job. You know, going to the next job, I don't know. It seems like kind of a, a scheme, really. You know, it was, it was a really interesting position. I was selling eyeglasses and contacts, and it was uh, – it was really interesting business, and I had to leave that. I don't know. You know, is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. I worked in the energy industry. I, I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? You know, I leave that job, and I, I today do have a career with options. You know, I've got a really, really good job and um, opportunity. And so all those things previously, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I would have branded them as being terrible. You know, you get fired from a job that's embarrassing. Um, but it was something that was in- it was important to my story to develop professionally. I've been in relationships where I was in a four-year-long relationship, and um, she left, is the narrative I say. Um, it's not far off, but that's, you know, that's like the pain point of, like, she left. And um, it was crippling. It was absolutely crippling, so much so that, you know, a week after my five-year anniversary, I celebrated five years, and naturally, ego sets in. I think to myself, at five years in a day, I'm like, hey, didn't you guys know five years in a day is closer to ten years than no years? You know, I start thinking that way, like, like I'm real good at math now, you know. And, uh, you know, I checked myself into a psych ward. You know, I was losing my mind. Um, after this breakup, it, it, was, it was terrible, and... Um, it was a really interesting experience in the psych ward because they ran out of mediums. I'm a, I'm a slender guy, uh, so they put me in an extra small straight jacket. And I was like, man, you don't even have to tie it. You know, like, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> with this thing. But, and, uh, <laughs> and I came out, I went to AA, and I had the choice of do I, you know, save my face or do I save my ass? And... Um, you know, I got incredibly honest at those times about the fact that I absolutely needed you all. And uh, you were there for me, you know. But going to the psych ward at five years, you know, you don't, you don't consider that the sunlight of the spirit or anything, you know. So, like, on paper, I would have been, like, bad, you know. Like, that, that we could have gone without that. Um, but it was maybe one of the more important things that ever happened to me. Because it, it humbled me to the point where it was almost like I had a day again, you know. Um, and I showed up back to AA. You guys welcomed me. I had never left, but I had shown up authentically, you know, again. And um, I didn't have to be the guy. I was just one of the guys now, you know. And so that kind of propelled me in my sobriety to the next five years being the best five years of my life, you know. The, the last five years have been the best five years of my life. And it's, 
much to do with the fact that I spent a lot of my time in AA. Um, you know, AA has given me back, actually it's just given me uh, things that I wouldn't have imagined, right? It's, it's given me things like career. It's given me things like relationship. I got married in June, you know. Um, I went on a honeymoon. We just bought a house, October 2nd. Um, and all this for the guy who was in the psych ward five years ago, you know, or in, in jail for seven hours uh, <laughs> ten and a half years ago. And, uh, the, you know, yeah, the dude who would break into houses now has his own key. Now, that's a fun one. Um, but the way that all that's shaken out has just been me throwing my hands up and saying, I don't know a lot, I'm just going to work a step about it. You know, it's like the first step was painfully clear at the time that I came in, and I have to remind myself about it as frequently as possible because I'm not exempt from what comes after a drink, you know. I can't sit here and get caught in this thought of like, oh, it was a product of my youth. I was young, man. I showed up here. I was 18 years old. Like now that I'm 29 and I've got all these things, like absolutely not, man. Um, I'm like a man who's lost his legs. I won't grow new ones. That's what the book says. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm honored to have a sobriety date because some people never get one. You know, I'm humbled and honored to read the book with guys because some people never get to. Um, you know, my second step, it looks like today I'm still coming to believe. I come to believe every day. You know, it's like I get to continue to learn through experience that my higher power can solve not only the drink problem, but all my problems. Right? I turn over my finances, I turn over my relationship and step three and everything in between, and I get to have that experience of, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. God can help that too. Um, as much as I'd like to think sometimes, I'm like, you know, God, you, you really have carried a lot of load. Let me help you out. Let me be, God, you know, let me be God's helper. I got this thing, you know. Um, that's not how it works, man, you know. And, uh, I don't necessarily think I can take my will back. It's incredible to think that I can take something from God, you know, or my higher power. But I do know that uh, sometimes I just don't listen. And I got to learn the same experience by running my head into the same wall that I have for years. And uh, I don't know my fourth step. I've written a lot of them. I've written them in a number of different ways. Um, But as I had said earlier, for me, what it just looks like is you know, I write a prayer at the top of the page, and it says, God, please show me what I need to see, what keeps me from you, from others, and from myself. I can't do this on my own. And that changes the whole lens for me from this opportunity for me to just take a whip and beat myself on the back over all the stuff that I've done. And it turns into, uh, you know, God, I want to do better, but I need your help. You know, God, there are things that I can't see that I know that you can. Please show them to me and uh, guide me to a way that's better. You know, sharing it. I've shared a lot of inventory with a lot of people, and I'm super grateful for them just to be able to receive it and give me the feedback that I need to hear. Um, you know, when I'm looking at my sixth and my seventh step, I've had these experiences like <laughs> one of my buddies told me once, he said, you know how I do my sixth step is I put all my defects in a hat and I pull one out each day and I work on it. I was just like, I don't think that works for me, man. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's like it's short in the book and, for me, it's this reaffirmation of the fact that my third step is still true. You know, I turn my will and my life over, and 
I share all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, here I am, man. I'm, I'm starting to be reformed and refined. And it's like, uh-uh, slow your roll, brother. You know, you still need this higher power thing because you still have everything that you were born with. Um, today, those things just don't have to flare up in the way that's crippling to me. You know, formerly when I was drinking and using or not drinking but not participating in program, these things would be majorly detrimental. You know, my dishonesty would be glaring, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've still done things in sobriety that are not pleasant. You know, they're not, and that's okay. Uh, because I'm willing to look at the truth. I'm willing to look at the first three columns of an inventory and say that sounds like a portion of the lie and the fourth column is the truth, you know, and look at corrective actions. But, uh, yeah, I, I pray as much as I can on that seven-step prayer just because it's, it seems to be up to my higher power, just like the rest of my life, to do with me as he would, to make me into the person that I need to be, you know, at any given time on any given day. Um, you know, eight and nine, I've, I've made... I can't stand it when people say this. I'm going to say it myself. I made all my men's, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, four today. Um, I, I made all the ones that I could. You know, there were a couple of them that said things like, um, how'd you get this number? Um, there were a couple of them that said things like, stay away. Um, you know, but I think one of the most powerful men's experience that I've ever had was uh, that guy that I actually tried to kill. Um, you know, because I did actually call him when I had three days. I got his number sneakily and um, you know, said, hey, man, look, I, uh, I'm sober now. Um, so a men's gig, you know, it's, it's time. You know, I was at his house with a bat like three weeks before. <laughs> and uh, he was one of the guys who said I had to get this number and hung up. And... Um, I thought to myself at that time, I was just like, you know, this guy doesn't even want me to stay sober. You know, it's just like, he doesn't even, like, want me to make the amends. He doesn't get it. Like, first he was terrible because he was, you know, screwing my ex-girlfriend, and now he won't even let me make amends to him. And uh, I hated his guts. I really did. In the, in the back of the book, there's a story that says, pray for somebody for two weeks, let it go away. And... uh that was the case for me. However, it took five years. Right? <laughs> you know? I was like, this cat, man, I can't. I, we don't jive, man, you know. And uh, sure enough, as soon as I started to believe what I was praying, right, when I was like, I want all good things in life for him, all the things I'd want for myself and everything that he aspires to be, to come to him on God's will and in God's time, it started to go away. I run into him at a bar, um, at the six-year mark, and I'm like, I know that face. I know that face. However, he's, he's bulked up a little bit. You know, I was like, I haven't, and I don't have a baseball bat, you know. <laughs> uh, but I was like, you know, are you willing to go to any lengths to make right this wrong? And so uh, we walked outside, and I, I made the amends that I had been waiting on for six years. Um, and what happened blew me away because this cat told me he was sorry. And I was like, whoa, man. <laughs> like, this, this guy just took his horns off, you know, and held up a mirror. You know, he's like, we are the same, man. And uh, I drove home just sobbing, thinking to myself, like, wow, my higher power is that good. You know, owed a lot of money, paid a lot of that back, uh, paid the car back. Um, 
you know, I've just tried to take the suggestions into my life. And, um, you know, when I, when I hear people say things like, man, you just work the steps, work the steps. You know, the book tells me, like, these are the steps we took. I'm trying to take the steps into my life. Right? I'm trying to have them be a design for living that really works. I'm trying to live the principles and practice them in all my affairs. You know, the important demonstration that lies in my respective job, occup- homes, occupations, and affairs. Um, I'm trying to just live this stuff today instead of working it as a reprieve to try to get some relief. I'm trying to live in recovery today. Right, relief. I could go smoke a Newport, man. Newport hundred, baby, green, ten bucks a pack. You know that's relief. Uh, recovery is something different for me today. It's being able to lay my head on the pillow at the end of the night with an empty, empty inventory and peace of mind. You know, and a lot of love in my heart, and that everybody um, who's on my heart knows that I love them. You know, um, you know, I've had the great privilege of being able to work with guys, a lot of guys. Um, it's the joy of my life. It's, uh, it's the most amazing thing to show up to AA and be the guy who never had a message, was the guy who people avoided, and to today have something to share that the doctor's opinion says might have depth and weight. You know, um, that has like a purpose. You know, I have a purpose today. It's, uh, it's in alignment with the traditions and the way of just being of service to the alcoholic who still suffers. And uh, I've worked with... A lot, a lot of guys. And just to see the light come on in their eyes the way that somebody saw it come on in mine is uh, something I can't possibly describe. You know, to have had an experience that they might align with and then to have them have that experience and say, oh, yeah, we relate. We are the same. Here's the mirror, you know. Here's the mirror. And I don't know who's going to change my life. I don't know who's going to save my life, you know. I uh, try to keep that open mind and an open heart to a new experience because each person that I might encounter in this room um, has either likely played a role in my sobriety, will play a role in my sobriety. Um, you know, just being here tonight, I'm super grateful for you guys to even have showed up. You know, uh, just some kid from Ohio, you know, and I get to wear a suit and whatnot and stand up here and talk in a microphone like I'm important. I'm just a bozo on the bus, man. <laughs> Luckily, you guys are too. Um, so <laughs> now it's, it, it's amazing to be a person among persons, a, a worker among workers. I, uh, you know, I take guys through the book and uh, watch them take other guys through the book. And uh, much like that conversation at the dinner table, it's like that's kind of what it looks like, the conversation at the dinner table at the end of Bill's story. Um, you know, I'll close up here in a minute, but I will say, like, sobriety has given me so much. Um, I've had the experience to do so many amazing things. I have a lot of things today. You know, I've got a ton of stuff. We just moved. Like, I literally have a ton of stuff. <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't know, man. I've gotten to travel the world, um, and I couldn't even leave the country for five years. The felony, they don't want you to do that. I figured they would say, go, leave the country. They said, stay. It was kind of like AA. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I've traveled the world. I've done AA in different countries. I've done Alcoholics Anonymous in Hong Kong. I've done it in 20 different states. I've gone to conferences. I've spoken on panels. I'm speaking at, uh, speaking at the Roundup, you know. <laughs> I've, sp- I've, sp- I've spoken at, you know, the Gratitude Breakfast. 
I've done all sorts of things that the kid who walked into Alcoholics Anonymous with a stutter because he had drugged himself into it, who couldn't read so well, you know, um, could hardly get through the doctor's opinion without having a headache, failed out of school, um, you know, slept for two, two and a half days because he couldn't, you know, function, bodily function. You know, it's just like I would never have dreamed of that stuff. You know, the car that I stole today, I have my own car. <laughs> you know, we ain't got to live that way anymore, man. You know, uh, you know, I, I got married, and this is somebody who is incapable of having a relationship with anybody, you know, who is an isolationist at his core. You know, I uh, had all sorts of spiritual experiences, and this is somebody who didn't believe in spirituality one bit. You know, and I think the coolest thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is if you strip all that stuff away from me, you take the car, you take the house, um, you know, you take 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 away my relationship, my wife. Um, you know, if you left me with a big book and another alcoholic, I know for a fact I'd be okay. You know, I know for a fact because I've been just as happy with substantially less. You know, I've been just as happy walking into Oak Street, seeing total strangers at 50 years old. I'm 18, saying hey, giving them a hug. It's just like I have been just as happy. And, uh, I'm super fortunate for that. You know, I, uh, I'll close with this. I just, I could be absolutely anywhere today. Um, I've thought about moving. I've thought about doing all sorts of things with my life. But uh, there's absolutely no place I'd rather be than here tonight with you guys in the place that I call my home, with the people I call my family. Thanks. Thanks.